You're listening to the free edition of Sweden in Focus from The Local. If you would like to listen to a full-length version of the podcast, as well as an additional midweek episode, please check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade to Membership Plus. Here's this week's free edition. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to Sweden in Focus, the local's weekly look back at what's been happening in the news in Sweden. I'm your host, Paul O'Mahony, and on this week's show, we're going to talk about how the Liberal Party's leadership change and ongoing crisis is likely to affect this year's Swedish election. We'll also discuss how Sweden is rapidly moving closer to making a decision on whether to join NATO. And finally, we'll look at Sweden's healthcare guarantee and how you can ensure you don't have to wait too long if you need any treatment. With me in Stockholm to talk about this, I have James Savage. Hello. And in Malmo, we're joined by Richard Orange. Hello. And this is the last show of the current series, sadly, but we're just going to take a short break this time and we'll be back in three or four weeks' time. And James, uh, what's been the best part of this podcast for you? I don't know about the best, but what's going to stick in my memory from this period is just the the crazy uh, news agenda and the and the, you know the kind of horrifying news agenda. But it's been an interesting time to be looking at Sweden and thinking about the direction that Sweden is taking. You know, with 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 the war in Ukraine and with and with NATO, and it's perhaps made this series a bit heavier than we perhaps anticipated. But that's that's also been interesting, and I've enjoyed talking about it, even if the whole circumstance, even if the circumstances are horrible. Yeah, we've talked about NATO a lot more than we had anticipated. I think I'm going to be speaking to Gunilla Herolf later from the Swedish Institute of International Affairs about how likely it is that Sweden will join. What about you, Richard? Um, anything stick out in your mind? I think it's it's been it's been really interesting to see how Sweden reacts to such a kind of grim, dark time. You know, having lived here ten years, I arrived at the sort of tail end of the Reinfeldt era, where it was sort of. I don't know, it was almost like that the kind of social democrat Sweden of old had sort of evaporated and was becoming this slightly kind of shopping mall consumerist society. And now with it, with this, what's happened with NATO, it's, it's kind of interesting to see that kind of prepper attitude, you know, the kind of the, what did you say, beredskap, this kind of, the kind mm. of the sort of, the sort of Swedish culture that was forged in long winters where you had to like store away all of your, all of your corn or you would die of starvation sometime <laughs> in, in, in February. And, and, and you can really really see that aspect of the culture coming together this sort of the way the sort of the sort of more sober serious response to this you know terrible terrible time so I, th- I think that for me that's been a real mm. eye-opener it's something that was always there in the background but it's really come back to life Last week, Niamco Sabuni resigned as leader of the Liberal Party after less than three years in charge. With the party consistently polling under the 4% required to enter the parliament, Sabuni decided the time was right for her to hand over the reins to Johan Persson, whom she defeated in a leadership battle in June 2019. Persson takes over a party 
that currently has the support of just 2% of the electorate, according to opinion polls. And with just five months left until the election, he has an almighty battle on his hands to keep one of Sweden's oldest political parties in the Riksdag. James, what's going on? Why did Niamco Sabuni resign? Well, I think you've kind of indicated that already, which was the party is at 2% in the polls. They need to double their support to get into Parliament in September. September is only a few months away. There isn't much time for the party to regain that support. And frankly, under Niamco Sabuni's leadership, the party has gone from bad to worse. When she took over, it was, you know hovering around that 4% threshold, which was already considered to be really bad for a party that has been in the Riksdag since the advent of democracy in Sweden. So she was expected to lift it a little bit, you know, safely above that 4% threshold. But the support for the party has just kept on falling. There were some immediate triggers for her resignation. One comment that she made that I think has has gone down badly in the party is that she said that the Liberals could support a government that included the Sweden Democrats, which is to go further than the party's very delicate compromise um, that it had reached before, which was to say that it it could support a government that was also supported by the Sweden Democrats, but with the Sweden Democrats not in government. So she took that one step further. But also uh, another thing that has has floated up as a potential reason for for her leaving is that she said in in a strange kind of long YouTube video that she recorded with Ulf Christoschon, leader of the Moderates, she she said that if Russia invaded, that well, she was sort of thinking aloud, well, she was saying, I could move to Värmland, which is on the border with Norway, and become self-sufficient. And then if things got really bad, I could go over the border to Norway. I'm paraphrasing, but that's that, that's the, that's basically the content of what she said. Hard to know exactly to, to what extent she was serious, and it was certainly, she was really clearly just thinking aloud. But in the situation that we're in, and in, in a party such as the, the Liberals, which takes defence pretty seriously, and in a country like Sweden, where everyone is expected to do their bit for the defence of the country, in fact, there, there are laws in requiring them to do so, it, it wasn't a good look. So had the party not been doing so badly in the polls already this wouldn't have mattered no. she'd have got she'd have got over it but given that it was doing so badly in the polls it just was perhaps the the, the straw that broke the camel's back mm. Do you think she was she was considering resigning anyway before this broke? Well, I, I don't know whether she was considering, and and, it, and it's hard to tell really to what extent she jumped and to what extent she was pushed. Mm. Clearly, the party is in a desperate situation. So I think that her, her position was not secure anyway. Absolutely, no. And what can you tell us about Johan Persson, who who takes over uh, with just five months left to the election? Well, he is kind of next in the line of succession. He was is a deputy leader of the party, and so with, with Niamco Sabuni leaving with, with um, immediate effect, he was the only person who could really take over. He's very similar to her politically in the sense that he backed the Liberals supporting moving over to the right side of Swedish politics. So if, you, if we rewind the, if we rewind the tape a bit for people who don't remember, at the beginning of this parliament, the Liberals were supporting the Social Democrats and the government of Stefan Levien. And then after Niamco Sabuni took over, they changed sides and said, we're no longer going to support, going to support the government of the Social Democrats, and we're going to support a government led by Ulf Christian, the moderates. That's our aim. But we will also do that together with the, with the Sweden Democrats. And this has been the big split in the party. Now, what's significant about Johan Persson is he is on the same side as Niamco Sabuni yeah. in that big split. But what that also means is that these, these tensions within the party that have been brewing for, for, for so many years 
are going to continue with him, he's going to find it very difficult to heal that split. He's on the same side as her. Um, he's still going to support a line that, that, that means that the Sweden Democrats will have influence in government. But he's a different kind of personality. He's known for having a big sort of sense of humour. He is, he is the typical guy you would like to take a pint with. I've actually find, found myself taking a pint with him myself. I ended up sitting next to him watching the results of the British election a couple of elections ago in the Tudor Arms in Stockholm. And he was, he's, he's, he was, he's a good laugh. You know, he, is, he kind of exudes that personality in his public appearances as well, which some people think might help him um, in the election campaign. Another thing about him that's interesting from his sort of personal history, he was on the um, he was on the beach in Thailand in 2004 when the tsunami came and had to run away from the run away from the waves. Was separated from his family for several hours before finding them again. What will it mean for the rights election chances in Sweden if the Liberals? don't manage to climb to 4%? Well, it depends a bit. Um, and what it really depends on is what happens on the other side of Parliament. There are two parties that risk falling out of the Riksdag. Uh, one is the Greens and the other one is the Liberals. Now, if the, if the Liberals fall out and the Greens do not, then it will give a very big advantage to the Social Democrats and their coalition with the, with the, with the Centre Party, the Left Party and the Greens. If both fall out, then the right-wing coalition, the, the Sweden Democrats, moderates, Christian Democrats and the Liberals, but without the Liberals in this case, mm. they will be very, very close. In, if you look at the polls today, yeah. they, will be, they, they will have a chance of forming a government. If the Liberals somehow were to stay in and the Greens were to fall out, it doesn't look like that's likely. No. But, but if, the, if the Liberals were to stay in and the Greens were to fall out, then actually the, the right would have a, a, a reasonable chance of forming a government. So, so what happens with these two parties mm. really matters for the result of Sweden's election in, in September. But I think it's remarkable that in a country like Sweden where you, you would think of the environment as being, you know, it's an issue that concerns a lot of people, that, that, that the party that it represents that has managed to get itself into a position where it's about to be knocked out of um, of Parliament. It's a colossal failure, really, for the party. I think. I think you can. But I think you can also make a similar argument about the Liberals in the sense that uh, the Liberals have been the party right right now. In NATO, is the big big question. Mm. The party that has has consistently and um, volubly supported NATO membership is the Liberal Party. And they are and they and they are disappearing. But I think in the case of both parties, in the with the Liberals and the Greens, their clothes have been stolen by the other parties. Every other party now, you know, to what to some to, to to a greater or lesser extent, is you know, well certainly believes in climate change, believes that things need to be done, and has a has a, has an, envi an, an environmental and climate policy. And um, every party, well, most parties now are leaning towards NATO membership. I think it's interesting to contrast the the strategy of the Greens in Sweden with the Greens in Norway, who in the the last election they boiled it all down to a single issue basically: will we will we stop future oil exploration? That's all we care about. Mm. We're a single issue party. We're we're going to stop Norway exploring for more oil, and and that and 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 we don't care. We'll support both sides. We'll support any coalition as long as they do this one. I think they had maybe two or three policies. Whereas the Green Party in Sweden tries to cover cover all the bases. They wants to have a defence policy. It wants to be uh, it, it it. And I think I, I mean I I suspect they might be better off if they were just a single issue party. We'll support the moderates. We'll support anyone as long as they pursue our green goals. But instead, for the last two mandates, they've been broken over migration. Absolutely. I mean, their profile over the last couple of uh, last couple of parliaments has been really 
more as a migration-focused party than as an environment-focused party, and that hasn't served them well politically, clearly. Okay, thanks both, and we'll be returning uh, quite a lot to the Swedish election in the weeks and months to come. This show is made possible by members of The Local. It takes time and resources to produce independent journalism, and we'd like to thank everybody who supports us through membership. If you're not yet a member, I'd urge you to check out our excellent introductory offer for Sweden in Focus listeners at thelocal.se forward slash podcast offer. A debate about whether or not Sweden should join NATO has raged in the country ever since Russia launched its full-scale invasion of Ukraine in February and has picked up pace this week after neighbouring Finland made it clear that it would announce its decision before midsummer. On the day we're recording this episode, the Finnish Prime Minister Sanna Marin is in Stockholm to meet her Swedish counterpart Magdalena Andersson to brief her on Finland's analysis of the new security situation in the region. The Swedish Social Democrats have long been vocal opponents of NATO membership, but with public opinion swinging towards joining and the right-wing opposition also in favour, will Sweden's governing party ditch its traditional antipathy and submit an application to join the alliance? I spoke to Gunilla Herolf, Senior Associate Research Fellow at the Swedish Institute of International Affairs, specialising in NATO and Nordic security policy, to get her view on the likelihood of Sweden joining NATO. I think it is very likely. Uh, All indications are in this direction now, and not least the development in Finland. And everyone assumes that Finland will now apply for NATO membership, also that they would very much like Sweden to join them in this application. We will see more about this today, but uh, I don't think uh, anyone doubts that this will be the case. And when do you think it's likely to happen? When will Sweden submit its applications, do you think? Uh, Everyone is talking about uh, June and uh, that might be because uh, this is the time when NATO will have its uh, Madrid meeting. Uh, And also for other reasons. There are also internal reasons why Sweden would like to have it before the summer, and that is the upcoming election. The Social Democrats would not like the NATO issue to be part of the discussions uh, preceding the election. So uh, they are the the crucial party right now. And uh, for them, this is important. Uh, Other parties might want to uh, prolong the discussion, but uh, not really. because they wouldn't mind having it as part of the elections, but they would still prefer to do it quickly and to do it together with Finland. That would be the best situation also for NATO, I think. And the Social Democrats have traditionally been quite um, opposed to, to joining NATO. Do you think the party leadership will manage to bring the rest of the members on board? Well, that is the big question. Uh, I think they will, but mm. uh, I don't think they will have easy discussions. Uh, We saw that the young uh, social democrats would prefer EU, which is a bit strange, I think, because the EU has no military capabilities at all. But uh, they will probably change, I think. And how quickly do you think NATO would approve a Swedish membership application? 
I believe that NATO uh, as an organization will do it quite quickly. We have got strong signals that this will be a quick operation when it comes to interoperability and other issues that Sweden have already been fulfilling. Uh, the crucial part of it will be the 30 member states' uh, own parliaments. I'm sure that uh, the very large majority would support us because we are not problematic countries, either Sweden or Finland. But you never know in such circumstances. There might be countries who would like to draw some extra benefits in an issue that doesn't have to be related to this at all from NATO and therefore prolong the thing prolong the application process a bit. But I don't think it will be uh, for too long, though. Could you just explain briefly how the ratification process works in the member parliaments? They will get the question, do you agree with mm. Sweden and Finland becoming members of NATO? It's, it's a simple question. And how many have to agree? All of them. All, of all, them. all 30 have to agree, yes. So moving on to a slightly different issue, the Russian Foreign Ministry spokesperson Maria Zakharova has previously said that a decision by Sweden and Finland to join NATO would have serious military and political consequences which would require an adequate response on Russia's part. How do you think Russia would respond to Sweden and or Finland submitting an application to join NATO? First of all, they would, of course, repeat those words again, telling us what a bad decision we have made and say that the previously good relations are no longer existing. They will do more, I'm sure. They will violate Swedish airspace. We could see that the day when Finland spoke about joining NATO, they violated the Finnish airspace four times. So this is one of the things they do more or less uh, as a routine. They've done it several times, many times before, but they will do more. Uh, I guess they will have some kind of cyber attack on us. Uh, this is an easy thing for them to do. It's fairly easy for us uh, to uh, meet as well. It, it will take maybe a week. I don't know. That depends on the attack and uh, some kind of sabotage. And as you have seen, many people in Sweden have responded and uh, have been prepping themselves. And uh, it's also a very strong recommendation also in times of uh, uh, bad winter weather, winter storms, that every grown-up Swede should have the uh, obligation of supporting him or herself for a week yep. without electricity and without water. So um, people put these recommendations in this context and um, many behave accordingly and uh, would not be too surprised if this would happen. But you don't you don't um, expect it to go beyond what we've already seen, like airspace violations and cyber attacks, like say for, say in Gotland, for example, where there's been a, a build up of Swedish military troops. Do they have any reason to be particularly concerned? Uh, well, of course, Gotland is all, always uh, the very crucial and strategic, most strategic area of Sweden and of the northern countries on the whole. I would say, no, generally because they would Russia would know that the possibility of uh, uh, NATO having a strong response to anything militarily happening 
to Sweden and also Secretary General Stoltenberg has talked in those terms that as soon as the application comes in, NATO will be prepared for anything that might happen of a very bad nature to Sweden. So I, d I don't think they would dare actually. No. What about before the application comes in, if Sweden indicates that it's going to join but hasn't yet submitted the application? <laughs> that we don't know. Uh, I, I would guess that we would get help, but uh, there are no firm promises for any country outside NATO uh, before an application. So if Sweden does join NATO, it will do so at a time of major upheaval. And the Secretary General Stoltenberg indicated this week that the alliance is preparing a full-scale military presence on its eastern borders. What will NATO expect of the Swedish military if the country joins? Uh, I think Sweden would be expected to do approximately what Denmark and Norway are doing at the moment. Uh, as you know, they are active in the air policing of the Baltic countries, the three Baltic countries, protecting their borders by fighter jets. Uh, also, uh, Poland gets some help, especially from Denmark. Iceland does, is getting the same kind of help since they don't have the military, any military forces themselves. Um, NATO has asked them recently for some additional forces. Denmark has responded by promising to send 800 people, a battalion, to one of the countries, Norway, a slightly smaller force to one of the other. So uh, things are going in a bad direction for Europe, that's true. Sweden might also be asked if we would like to help out with uh, these uh, kind of uh, units, uh, maybe to Romania or something, we don't know. But, but uh, there will be additional uh, strengthening of the NATO border and uh, all NATO countries are supposed to help out. So mm. th that might be the case. And in terms of um, defence spending, uh, Sweden recently announced that it would increase its spending to 2% of GDP. Do you think we'll see any additional spending beyond that? Uh, no, I think Sweden will have its hands full with the 2%. Uh, what NATO might say is that uh, after Sweden has then said that we will be able to reach 2% around uh, 28. Maybe NATO would said it would be fine if you could reach it further, uh, mm. quicker. On yeah. the other hand, there are very few. There are only about 10 countries that have reached the 2%. So I think uh, NATO will be quite pleased that we are among the countries that are aiming to do it and fa fairly soon in NATO terms. Uh, the only thing is uh, that I may bring up now is the Article 5, because yep. there are some discussions about Article 5. Uh, some people say that uh, since Article 5 includes uh, some words saying that it is up to the each country to decide its contributions. Some uh, say that maybe no country is interested in doing it, uh, but uh, this is not what would take place because the NATO way of working is to have constant planning for different scenarios. Mm. And in those in this planning process, the various countries are all involved. And here they can say what they are ready to uh, support other countries with, which kind of resources they have, and also what they hope others to 
to, uh, the kind of help they would like to have from others. So th this is a continuing discussion. It's not anything that might come as a surprise for NATO that a country says, no, we don't want to do it. Uh, they know very well what to expect from different countries, and it will vary depending on the scenarios. Uh, you wouldn't expect Portugal to be very engaged in the Arctic, for example, mm. if something happens there with Norway, for example. But you would expect Nor Portugal to be very involved in something in happening in in the southern part of Europe and so on. So uh, this is also, it's also the case that if a NATO country is attacked, it will be a major problem for the whole of Europe. Mm. No country would see this as a small thing. They all know that it will affect all of them and therefore they would not hide in a corner. This podcast is free to listen to, but if you like what you hear and are not yet a member of The Local, please consider joining. By subscribing, you get the latest news from Sweden that impacts you, essential practical information and advice on life in Sweden, and unrestricted access to all editions of The Local. Please check out our membership offer at thelocal.se forward slash podcast offer to find out more. We're going to switch focus now to healthcare in Sweden and how to ensure you get the treatment you need in a timely manner. This is something you've been looking at this week, Richard, and you wrote an article about how long people can expect to wait for medical care. Central to Sweden's system is something called the Healthcare Guarantee. Can you tell us what that is? Yeah, it's it's something that was brought in back in 2005, uh, and it, and it's it's it, I think they translate it in English as National Guaranteed Access to Healthcare. Snappy. A snappy. <laughs> um, no, but what it does is it's supposed to be a guarantee, but in fact, it's not really a guarantee because if you don't get treated in the time under the guarantee, you can't then complain. You can't sort of go to your ward centre and go, hang on, I was supposed to be treated in three days. You have no recourse really under the, the health guarantee. It's more, of, it's more of a sort of target for the region. Mm. So under the healthcare guarantee, all patients are supposedly guaranteed to be able to get in contact with their primary care centre by phone, in person or by video link on the, the same day they seek care. So the day you're ill, you should be able to at least get some sort of response from your primary care centre. And you should be able to get an appointment with a doctor, nurse or or mm. a trained medical person within three days. It doesn't have to be a doctor. It can be a nurse or a physio or a psychotherapist. Right. And then after that, if they deem that you require a specialist doctor or a consultant, then you should be able to visit them within 90 days. And if that specialist doctor says you need an operation or some other kind of treatment, you should be able to get that within 90 days. But especially in the initial part of this, in the primary care side of it, you can't complain if you if you have to wait a week there's no there's no recourse it more just goes into the statistics and the regions are rewarded if they meet these goals right. or, or if they improve their performance under these goals so it's actually it's actually more of a target than a guarantee so is, is there anything you can do if you don't get help within the guaranteed guaranteed time frame well yeah not at the primary care level i mean you can mm. you can you can always go to another you know, switch supplier or switch your primary care provider or use one of Sweden's digital doctors. You know, you have a, a right to choose healthcare in Sweden. So if you're having to wait too long, you can just pick up the phone and uh, pick up your, your phone and dial into Cree or my doctor or one of the apps that have sprung up over the last five, 10 years. But when you're looking for an appointment with a consultant, 
if they can't give you an operation within your region within the 90 days, they are under the law that they're supposed to contact you and say, well, if you're willing to go to another region, we've found this person who can do it within the 90-day period. Or the specialist doctor might find another person within the same region. So the way the guarantee works is that the specialist doctor has to try and find an alternative that allows you to be treated within the guaranteed time. And that might mean travelling to another region. That might mean travelling to another region. And if you then say, actually, I don't want to travel to another region then then you lose your guaranteed right. Then it doesn't mm. get sort of noted down in the statistics as them sort of failing to um, meet the guarantee. Okay, and are there any other tips you can give people? Yeah, I spoke to Emma Spack, who's the sort of doctor who works for the Swedish regions' um, sort of healthcare division. And she, she said that what really helps is you should actually ring up the primary care doctor and you should say if you're, you know, if you if you have a pretty flexible position like us being journalists, you know, you often don't have to, you can normally take an hour off at any time, then you should tell them that you should say I've got a flexible job. And then they will note that down. And then you will be they will ring you, you'll be sort of on the list for if there's any kind of cancellations, and they mm. slot you in quickly. So or if you know, if you're unemployed or a student or something like that. Uh, that's that's one tip. And the other tip, I think is just to ring up the the specialist department i mean i had that uh, we're waiting for a, a scam for my wife and i rang up the specialist and she said yes yes i'll look and they and they will quite often if you do that they will go straight on their calendar and will look for a slot so you, you can jump the queue by weeks or a month just by being a bit more active i think i think i think it pays to be active in seeking healthcare in sweden that's great really good advice there and as i mentioned um, there's an article on this on the site so people can go in and follow up on all this all, all these tips that you've given If you've been enjoying the show and are not yet a member, please consider supporting The Local's independent journalism by heading over to thelocal.se forward slash podcast offer, where a subscription costs just 10 kroner for the first month. Great. Thanks, everybody. That's all for this week. Uh, I'd like to wish our listeners a great Easter break if you're getting some time off. Thanks to my guests, Richard Orange, James Savage and Gunilla Herolf. And we'll be back again before the end of May. Until then, take care. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. That's all for this week's free edition of Sweden in Focus. If you'd like to hear a full-length version of the podcast each week, as well as an additional midweek episode with more interviews and analysis, please upgrade to Membership Plus. Make sure to check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade. Sweden in Focus is a podcast by The Local Europe. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. The publisher is James Savage.